0: All right, good morning to you. Um, if you've got your Bibles, uh, go to Exodus. Pretty easy, it's the Old Testament, second book. Genesis, Exodus. All right, just checking, just doing some Bible club on you there. Um, we're going into Exodus chapter three. I'm going to be in chapter two for but I want you to be in three. So that's pretty easy stuff. How many of you ever had that day where you feel old? Okay, good. Uh, I was loading stuff up for kids camp this morning I went to get some food stuff for after after this and I was at Dylan's, and it was raining and the person how many of you have ever been really irritated because the person parked a little too close to you so you can't hardly get in without the jaws of life okay that person did that to me this morning and if I don't know about you but if you're holding a tray of food that's this big and like this and so I'm trying not to ding their car and mine and I'm trying to weave through and put the food through while it's raining. Have I said it's raining? Okay. And about the time I get all the way across, I feel my back go, I don't like this position. And I wrench my back. And so if I don't sit much or if I sit weird, you know why. All right. I'm, I'm heavily medicated. No, I'm kidding. We'll be good. <laughs> um, we're in the second week about being rooted in Christ. And the, this is not a really a new concept because if you think about the biblical characters of the Old Testament to the New Testament, one of the consistencies that you see with even with all their rough edges, they were rooted in Christ. They actually, their missteps, the things they didn't get right, the things they wish they would do differently, whatever it was, they were still there was still this basic foundation that they were rooted in Christ. And so we're looking at, last week we looked at a, a, a David who was, for all of us, as a man after God's heart, but yet he was also an adulterer and a murderer. It's like, how do you reconcile those? Well, you see what Christ started doing in his life, not only as a boy, but all the way through his kingship. And I just, and I want you to see one of the reasons I shifted this series is I want you to see biblical characters that weren't these super perfect people that God worked through and that God did stuff through them all the way through and so we're going to be looking at some of those so I have a question I want you to think for yourself do you have something about you right now that man I wish I could I wish I could change or I wish I'd have done different think about yourself for just a moment what would be that one thing you go man I wish I could have done this differently or I wished I would have I would have not done this well Beth and I were fairly newly married we probably a couple years and uh, I like classic cars and um, I was kind of watching for cars just kind of half-heartedly. Well, one day, uh, we lived in Wichita at the time. We probably married maybe two years tops. One day, um, a guy had a, a Mustang for sale here in Derby. And it was a 19, and some of you are going to have no idea what I'm about to say, but some of you who are car people will know. 1968, GT, GTA Fastback. Um with a 390 in it. But the catch was that the car was unassembled, but he had $4,000 worth of new parts with a disassembled car. And he wanted $1,800 for it. Now, some of you are going... So, now, I'm I'm newly married, and my father-in-law, I tell him about this, and he goes, let's go look at it. And so I go with him, and in my mind, I'm going, I don't have $1,800, really. And so my father-in-law goes, look, if this is what we think it is, you need to buy this car. You need to buy this car. And so the the I'm like, I get there, and it's exactly the guy described it. It's the original GT390, which let me just tell you, is a really rare car. It's a GTA, which meant the A meant it was an automatic. And so it was, anyway. And so all the parts, boxes of new parts stacked in his garage, $1,800. And I look at that, and that question I just asked you, what would you like to change? <laughs> and and, and the, the practical side of me, which wasn't really being bright at this moment, goes, Ah, oh, it's eighteen hundred dollars. And Ed goes, You can pay me later. You can pay me later. Now he's leaving it to me. And, and, and if it had been my dad, he'd say, just get the car. I'll pay for it. And I'll we'll figure it out. You know. And so I flinch and as Keith pointed out I'm not driving it today why did you have to do that and so he sees that I am waffling and the guy's like you've got to be kidding me the guy's looking at me like "Um, you you don't deserve to own this car and so we get in the car and we start to make our way back to Derby and the whole back to Wichita. And the whole time, Ed's going, turn around and buy the car. I'll help you do it. And I get to my house, which is at Lincoln and Hillside at the time. And he goes, I go, okay. Now, guess what happened? See you later. And, and to this day, my father-in-law every now and then he'll go you should have bought the car <laughs> I'm like you're killing me yes I know but there's those moments for all of us that we go oh I wish I could do this differently I wish, I'd have, I, wish I could have set this table I wish I would have not I wish I would have and I still think ugh, ugh. yeah that was <laughs> touche so with that as our backdrop, Moses is a guy that has a very unique story, and I want to read the story, and I want you just to think through this. We're because we're just going to read a a block here, but Moses is um, he's in a position of of he was he was he he basically grows up in royalty. Okay? And so I want to read this story to you, and you kind of just see where it goes. It says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked at their burdens. Now, he is part of the Egyptian family he was adopted in, but he was also still a Hebrew. Okay? And he says, And he looked at his people, and they were, and he saw the Egyptians beating a Hebrew. And one of his people, he looked down, he looked that way, this way, and that way, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He killed him. For, for, let me help you out there. He killed him. He didn't like what he saw doing. These were his people. Even though he was in the religious, even though he was in royalty, he still had great compassion for his people. He saw that they were being persecuted and they were being afflicted. And you think, how how can God work through, we had an adulterer and a murderer and this week we got a murderer. He killed somebody out of anger. He didn't, He he shouldn't have done it. And I, I was like, how does God work through all of our missteps? How does God work when we don't respond the right way? How does God work when we do, when we do things that he's going, really? How, do we, how, do we, how does God work in our lives? How does he help us get rooted even when we don't get it right? And I think Paul sums it up really well in Ephesians 3.20. And I want to read this too. He says, now to him... Who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us? See, even with all the things that we don't get right, God is able to work. He's able to do, and you you can look at your life and go, "God, you can't." There's no way you can use me. And I want to tell you, if God can use an adulterer and a murderer, He can use you. God can work in your life. It's not too late. You may have not grown up in a, in, a, in, a, in a, any kind of knowledge of who God is and who He wants to be known, but He can do something in your life. If you've grown up in church, you think, "Oh man, Danny, too much time's elapsed." I was a Christian as a I was excited about Jesus as a teenager, and man, I've let me just tell you, God can work in your life. He is able. He is, and so let's keep walking. Verse thirteen says, "And when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together." They were in a fight, okay? And he said to the man in the wrong, "'Why do you strike your companion?' He answered, "'Who made you prince and judge over us?' Did you, mean to, "'Did you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian?' Uh-oh, somebody found out. "'When Moses was afraid and thought, "'Surely this thing is known. "'When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. "'But Moses fled from Pharaoh "'and stayed in the land of Midian. "'And he sat down by a well.' Now a priest of and seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the the troughs to the water with their, their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And when they came home from their father rule, he said, how is it that you have come home so soon today? They said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, then where is he? Have you left that man? Call him that he may eat bread. And this is interesting in verse 21. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. Isn't it interesting that, that Moses saw, okay, this is my lot in life. I'm going to be over here now doing this thing. This is it. This is all I'm ever going to be. This is all I'm ever going to do. This is all. And see, what God was doing was starting to deepen his roots and he didn't even know it. He didn't even know that he was doing it. He didn't even know that he was starting to deepen his roots for something much larger than himself. He didn't even know it. But he thought, okay, I'll be satisfied. I'll just just live over here for the rest of my life. Moses was content to dwell with men, and he gave Moses his daughter, Zephariah, and she gave birth to his son, and they called him Gershom. For he said, I have been a soldier in a form. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel gathered because of their slavery, or excuse me, groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and he saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And God saw what was happening there, and let me just remind you something. God is always His timing is always right. It's never, it's never like behind. It's never, it's never too soon. It's never really late. It's, God's timing is always right, but it's frustrating for us because we want it on our timetable. And I made this note because Moses, from this time on, is basically a shepherd for a really long time, for like forty years. Now I don't know about you, but if you've been doing something for this long, don't you kind of think this is all this is it? This is all I'm going to be. This is all this is where I am. And it says Moses spent the next 40 years as a shepherd, shepherding someone else's sheep. Okay? He was doing that. Shepherding stubborn sheep was the perfect preparation for leading a stubborn group of people. Think about that for just a second. He is shepherding sheep, which have a tendency to do their own thing. They tend to see to to wander. They're oblivious to danger. They don't know what they're really, they're not really all that bright. And they tend to kind of be frustrating. And God used that 40 years to prepare him. Would you think about that for a second? 40 years, 40 years to do that. And God's timing is always good. It's always right. And do you, let me ask you a question, audience participation time. Do you think that God was deepening his roots for something larger than himself? He was. It was preparation. Here's what we don't like. We want God to work on our time schedule, don't we? We do. We, we We always say we want God's will, but we want it now. And God is always at work. It's just never or rarely on ours. My journey into ministry was similar to to Moses, not quite as long. Um, it's interesting because both times that I responded to God as following God in a relationship with Him was a Sunday night service, just a typical Sunday night service. And God, I surrendered to my life to God in 1981 on a Sunday night at Sharon Baptist Church. Well, a few years later in 1984, our pastor Ken was preaching a sermon about surrendering to God's call. Well, it wasn't, there was kind of this time, remember for some of you, I, I was going to be a zoologist, and then I realized you got to have math and you got to be really smart. Um, and I realized that wasn't going to be for me. And so I was kind of floundering. I was like, well, you know, what am I going to be? What am I going to do? Where, where, where am I going to go? I, I, I'm not really sure. Um, I didn't know. Well, that Sunday night, I'll never forget because our pastor at the time, Ken, was talking about that God calls some people into ministry that is a vocation. Like you, this is what you do as your job. And, and I was like, and God was like, uh, that's you. And I was like, uh, God, I'm dyslexic. And he's like, uh, that's you. And I was like, I I mean, I was doing all the Moses excuses. And it was interesting because, um, I remember walking up that day and I had no idea and this this hangs in my office, and it's a it's a certificate of license, and it was given to me, um, in on March the twenty eighth of nineteen eighty four. One of the reasons I keep it there is a reminder to what God called me to do. Even when days are hard, even when I'm when I'm frustrated or when I'm not getting it right or when I've, I've got lots of growth still, I put that up there for a reminder that that God called me to do what I get to do. Well, now, with that being said, um, I don't know about you, but if you respond to God's call, don't you think that God, this should happen now? If God, if I said yes, then let's go. And I remember that 1984, okay, I was like, okay, God, where do I go? What do I do? And God, and I heard, what felt like nothing. I felt like, well, all right, God, you clearly you clearly said, take this step. And I did. And I remember that after that, I was having some serious dialogues with God, like, God, I said yes. Is this what it is? This? Yes, is it? And think about Moses. Moses for 40 years, he's a shepherd. And God is at work preparing him And what I didn't see from 1984 to 1991 was God, it was a prepping ground. And I didn't even catch it. I started working with students. I was, I was a, I remember I was a ninth grade boys substitute teacher, which meant that if you get to Danny, you're really in trouble. (laughs) And And then a couple of years later, Beth and I got married and Beth and I were teaching a high school class. And then a couple of years later, um, I was ordained as a deacon in our church and I was doing all of these ancillary serving in the church and just serving in the church. And all the way through those seven years, I was having a conversation with God going, God, when are you going to have me doing something that matters? Because I was about to say, God, I was about to tear this piece of paper up in my mind. Like, God, I, I said yes, and this is what I'm doing? And I remember that our youth pastor left abruptly um, and went to another church. And we were in an interim phase. Ken had left, and our pastor at the time, was name was Roy Moody, um, was kind of helping us navigate all this change. And then and so he comes to me and he says, "Hey, we need do you want to be the part-time youth pastor while we figure all this out?" And I said, and God was like, "The past 7 years have been preparing you for this moment." And it was so clear to me, and I looked back and I went, "God was giving me into leadership roles. He wasn't he was he was not in a hurry." Let me just help you out. He was not in a hurry, but he was deepening my roots unbeknownst to me for a greater purpose than myself. He was deepening my roots for something that I wasn't, that it would, be, it would need him. And he was showing me that for me to get ready for this, he needed to do a lot of other ancillary things because all those things I was doing up to this point in 1991 were incredibly important for this day in this moment. And so I said yes, and it was funny because I said yes, and I really didn't have a clue what I was doing. But God did, and he did the same thing with Moses. So for 40 years, he's doing this thing, and look at what happens. I love this. If you're taking notes, a couple things to write down. The daily, ordinary days of our life is often where God reveals himself. The day-to-day things that we're all doing is where God tends to do His best deepening of our roots. It's just our willingness to be obedient and to have an awareness that He is growing. It took me, I was a little naive, seven years to see that. And then when I looked back and I went, wow, God has been at work doing some stuff. But it's the day-to-day stuff. Moses, it was the day-to-day stuff. He was just doing his job taking care of sheep, leading them, protecting them, helping them, looking for strays, finding green pastures, finding water, all those things. And he did it repetitively year after year after year. And so by the time he gets to this where he is, which is about 40, he gets called. And if you're taking the second one is this, God is not in our kind of hurry. He's not. And Moses thought, this was his lot in life, and I love what Henry Blackaby said about this. He said, "God usually speaks out of the ordinary experiences of our life, of the life, of our life. This is how he works. He works out of the ordinary, not the extraordinary. OK? So that gets us to where we are now in Exodus. Chapter three, if you hopefully you're there. We're going to look at these first few verses. It says Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father in law Jethro and the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked. This is important, the word look is important. He looked, he saw bush burning. That's a kind of an unusual sight. The fact that it's also not being consumed is really unusual. And behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, he didn't go, hmm. He went, hmm. I need to go see that. I will turn aside to see. You know, I know this about. I know this about fire. Fire tracks. If you, if you have seen anything ever on fire, there's lots of people just watching. And if you're a teenage boy or middle school boy, you like to burn stuff, am I right? Man, I did. I like to burn things. What, 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 would that, what temperature will that blow up? Let's find out. Okay. And so he sees it, and he says, I, not only does he see it, but he goes, I need to go see it myself. I need to investigate. And when he saw, let me back up. He says, I will turn aside and this, see this great sight, why the bush is not being burned, verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see God, called him out of the bush bush, and he said, Moses, Moses, let me just tell you, whenever your name is called twice by God, do the math. You better pay attention. And he said, here am I. And then he said to him, do not come near, take off your sandals, take off your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look look upon God see when you stand in the presence of God there there should be a moment of reverence there should be a moment of I am in the presence of God if you've ever had that moment you stand in awe you stand in an awareness that it, you you start to realize how small you really are when you stand and you see God in who he is and Moses is experiencing that firsthand then the Lord said, "I am surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cries because of their taskmasters. Taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians, hands of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land to a good and brewed land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Peisurites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites." And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression for which the Egyptians oppressed them. Now, you can imagine that Moses is going, All right, God, it's about time you do something. It's about time you go get take care of business. It's about time you go do something. It's, you've, you've, this has been going on a long time, God. Come on now. Now, you can imagine that Moses is thrilled about this until we get to this verse. Verse ten. Come, uh, what? What do you excuse me? Come, what do you mean? Ah, uh, whoa, whoa! I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Uh, I've been a shepherd for the last forty years. How does that work? How does that work, God? I've been, I, I I've not been in royalty. Uh, I've. Those people have long since forgot about me. God, I, these are animals, four legged. This is my job. This is all I've been doing for the last forty years. And there must have been some moment there that because he was the, the the dialogue is incredible. God, I don't speak well. They won't believe me. They, he goes through this. We're going to hit some of that here. And he says, "Me? I, I was run off because I was a murderer." It's funny because God works through all of our our sin, our missteps, the things that we don't do or should do or didn't do or didn't do well. He works through all of those. Paul said that. He's able to despite ourselves. And if you're keeping track, why does being rooted matter? Because God often intends for you to be a part of the solution to a problem. See, God desires for you to be a part of something bigger than yourself, And he's positioning you. He's preparing you. And it may be not like anything like Moses has done. It could be a person. It could be a ministry. It could be a discipling. It could be whatever. But he was saying, I don't waste anything, but I've got a reason for it. Do you trust me? And see, deepening roots, trust God, even when you are scared. God, I can't. You know the first thought that Moses said when he said, when God said, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me because I killed somebody. But God often, when he's deepening your roots, it's, it's preparation for something much greater. But Moses to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel, Israel out of Egypt? And look at what, he says, who am I? I want you to really listen to the dialogue. Just really listen to how God encourages him and is deepening his roots. Look at what he says. God said, but I will be with you. I'll be with you. You're not going alone. I'm not saying, good job, figure it out. He says, I'll be with you, and I'm going to demonstrate my power there. I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve the God of this mountain. Then Moses said, but if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And we're going to unpack that here in just a second. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And I love this because Every argument, see, when your roots get deep is when you say, God, oh my, I can't. And he's reminding Moses as he's reminding us that our roots grow deepest when are dependent upon him, not on ourselves. Because Moses was thinking, well, if it was something I was comfortable with and I could do this. And, and what God is trying to show him is that he wants to deepen his roots through this journey, through this journey. And the I am, I, I love this. The I am means... That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is not getting better or for worse. He's perfect. Okay, hear me on that. God is not—he's not on some journey himself. Not like us. He's already there. He's perfect. He's consistent, and he is telling—he's telling Moses that your your bro, your your founding fathers. Guess what? I'm the same then as I am now. Okay. You can trust that. You can lean in on me and I want to deepen your roots so that you'll get it because God is working like a masterful chess player working multiple steps ahead in preparation for Moses because isn't isn't this true that the, the exodus out of Egypt was really the easy part? Am I right? That was the easy part. The hard part was after that. And, and But Moses doesn't see that, but God does. And God is preparing him for what lies ahead. And he does the same for us. That God is always working like a masterful chess player in our lives, just like he was doing for me. When I surrendered to his call in 1984, but for the next seven years, he was working and shaping and preparing. And I wasn't even aware of it until I looked back and I went, Oh, okay, God, I'll be quiet now. And I love the second thing I wrote down was this. As God says, I am with you, and your achievements and your failures will not affect the stat- that status. I will be with you. And that's what he's telling Moses. He's telling him that. I love this. Great story. Verse 15. God said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, the, Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Now, this is great because Moses has given him several arguments. Is God letting him off the hook? No. And let me just help you out. When God calls you to something, you can't say give that to somebody else. He's called you to that. Look at what verse 16, because how do we know? Look at what he says to Moses. Go. He doesn't Go. Oh, well, wouldn't you feel up to it? He says, Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob have appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. Verse 17. Look at what God is trying to do in deepening his roots. I promise that I will bring you out of, the, out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the, the, the Canaanites, the Hettites, the Amorites, the Petrusites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel will go to the king of Egypt and will say to the Lord, the king of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord God. But no. That the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by the mighty hand. See, God's at work in all this because let's 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 rewind here. God is trying to strengthen Moses's roots, right? But isn't He also trying to prepare the Egyptian or the uh, the Israelites for the same journey? He's needing to deepen their roots too, because they have been under Egyptian culture for about 400 years about 4 generations plus do you think that they were do you think that idols had infiltrated their life? yes and we know that 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 culture had started rubbing off on them over the centuries and so they needed to get their dependence shifted from themselves and from worthless idols to a living holy God and so he needed to deepen their roots too and so he wasn't wasting the signs. The signs weren't to just for the Egyptians to go, wow, this is a big God. Know that that was true. But he was also demonstrating that God was trustworthy to lead them. And so he was deepening, again, masterful chess player. He was deepening the roots of Moses and all of the Israelite family. And he's doing the same for us. It's funny because when he's working just in your life, you're thinking, just me. No, God's working... I've said this to you before. God is always painting on a canvas that we can't fully see. We just get to see our little world, and so we see that in verse twenty. So I will stretch out my hands and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. Then after that, he will let he will let you go, and I will give the people of Pharaoh and uh, favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you will um, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. And you'll put it put it on them and your sons and your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. The Egyptians have, have assaulted the Israelites for centuries. And they have built this massive place under the weight and oppression of the Israelites. And God is saying you're going to take a lot of what you built with you because you're going to need those things to buy, to do. You're going to need to have that for resources in the future. Again, God moving ahead. And so I want you to think for me for a second that when God is deepening your roots, like he was doing with Moses, he is not doing it frivolously. He's not doing it in a way you go, I wonder why that's happening. I promise you, if God is deepening your roots, there's a reason there's, a, there's something He wants you to be a part of. There's something He wants you to trust Him in. There's something He wants you to surrender, whatever it is. And the final couple of notes I want you to take down. This is important, is this. Deepening roots help us see the holiness of God. See, the deeper your roots, the more aware you are of God. And that Moses started seeing God more and more and more and more. And it's really cool, because if you follow this story his confidence level goes, keeps going up as he sees God deliver time after time after time after time. And as the people were flinching, Moses wasn't. Because if you remember, they exit out and they get to the Red Sea and they're like, oh, you've taken us out here to die. And Moses is like, I'll stretch up my hand see a God at work. Deepening roots help us see the holiness of God. Deepening roots prepare us for the things way outside of our comfort zone. Some of you are going to work in kids camp this week and you're going to be out of your comfort zone because you're going to be working with little ones. Some of you are going to be teaching little ones. Some of you do it every single week. But God tends to grow our roots the deepest in things that are out of our comfort zone. It's how he works. Your roots don't grow deep in the things that are easy. They grow deep in the things that are hard because it it requires us to have a dependency shift from ourselves to God. That's how you grow best. You do. I know that personally. Man, I grow best under things that I don't... Oh, man, God, I don't know how that... God goes, okay, I got it. Deepening roots prepare us for things way outside of our comfort zone. The the next one is this. Deepening roots remind us he can. See, Moses started to... Once, because Moses was a reluctant go... It, they've had this dialogue, and God says, okay, take take some people with you. You know, okay, all right. But he didn't let him off the hook. And you're, you're still going to be this person. You're still going to be this leader. You've been leading sheep for 40 years. Well, these Israel, Israelites aren't that much different than these people. And it says that he can. We just go back and read chapter 3, and you see it. He can. He can. I will. I promise. I promise. I will deliver. And it's funny because when you, when you, when you read the scripture and it says that, that they will go into a land, it doesn't say they might go, I hope they can go. It says they will go. Which is evidence that God can certainly do it. And so if you look at your life and you go, man, God, I don't know. Too many missteps, too many this, too many that, too much time's elapsed, whatever. God's going, I am able It's not too late. The last one is this. Deepening roots reduce our excuses. See, over time, Moses' excuses diminished. And I've learned that about my own journey, that my excuses diminish as my dependency grows in him. As my roots get deeper in him, I don't go, I wonder if God can do that. I go, I know he can do that. I know he can do that. And as the roots grow, Moses was able to look and see God do. I mean, the burning bush was the first indicator. Okay? Because it didn't get consumed. And then all these other things start happening. The plagues, the, the exodus, the, I mean, you could just go through the stories and just see. Now, what I didn't tell you is that Moses also had an anger problem. Did you know that? That was one of the reasons why he didn't get to go in the promised lands, because he had an anger problem. He struck a rock that he wasn't supposed to out of anger. But God still worked in his life. God still worked in and God is doing that. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to really look at characters of the Bible is I want you to see that God works even in missteps, even in sin, even in the things that we should have done, couldn't have done, whatever. He works in those moments. And the idea is for you to see God more, to, to work through your, out of your comfort zone, that He can and that eliminate excuses of why you can't or that God can Okay, and I love this. Paul Tripp said this in a close. He says, when he sends you, he doesn't give you a bunch of stuff to help you along the way. He always gives you himself because he is what you need and he alone can give you what is required. So if God asks you to do something, he alone will give you everything you need. But it will require a deepening of your roots to trust him in that way. And the most important thing you'll know is that to get deeply rooted, it requires a relationship, and from there everything takes care of itself. And I know that myself, Brad or Corey or Keith, there would be no greater joy than for us to help you take that step. Let's pray. Father, I ask that we would give you the freedom to deepen our roots, and that we would have an awareness of you doing that in our lives. Help us, God, to see that um, you are always looking to grow us in our relationship with you. You You're always looking to grow our roots deeper so that we have an awareness of who you really are and who you want to be in our lives. I thank you, God, that you are always deepening our roots, not in the easiest things of life, but in the hardest things of life. The things that are well out of our comfort zone as with Moses and with us and i ask god even the now that if there is somebody in this room that for them to have a root system means they have to have a relationship with you and that's where it begins i pray for some in this room god that they're frustrated that they've surrendered to you about something and they don't really have they're not really sure you've been at work i pray that you give them eyes to see that you've been at work all along thank you god for working in our lives Thank you, God, for using things in our life that deepen our roots so that we have an awareness that you were at work and it wasn't us. Thank you for people like Moses, God, who had some character issues, who committed a fairly heinous act, but you worked through that and around that. And I pray, God, that uh, we would surrender excuses, that we would surrender us trying to do it ourselves and allow you to work and do what you do best. And I pray, God, again, that if there is someone that needs to begin a relationship with you, that they would have the courage to respond. God, I thank you in advance for the people that you've drawn into our church. And I pray that this time is a time that we surrender to you what we should have a long time ago. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I'll ask you to stand. Maybe you want to treat this